You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. Come on, give Jesus a bigger praise than that. Come on, with all you have, Bold. Come on, these first few moments of conference. Come on, lift him up. You can do better than that. Ten more seconds. Come on, the loudest praise for Jesus. Awesome, awesome. How's everybody doing tonight? Man, I am, uh, I'm excited to be here in Kansas City, and uh, man, I want to take a moment before I go any further and just honor um, Pastor David Perkins, his amazing wife, Renata. You guys are amazing, and um, you know, honestly, on behalf of all of us, but, on, but beyond this room, thousands of students and a generation of youth pastors, I just want to say thank you for being who God has made you guys to be and for, for following the call of God on your life. And I don't want to get uh, super um, long-winded in this part because I'll probably end up crying. But I just want to say, without David's influence in my life, I would not be standing here tonight. And um, what he mentioned a minute ago about Birmingham when the motion movement was our student ministry there, it would not be what it is today without your influence in my life and without your anointing and without the, the passion you have for the place of prayer. You know, student movements and movements of God are birthed out of prayer. That's a huge passion in David's life. And so long story short, um, 10 years ago now, um, David inspired me through a a series of events to start a student conference. This year we're going to have our our 10th year. Guys, there's going to be 16,000 students um, gathered. And that's a a testimony to Jesus. I want to say this, a testimony to an incredible vision and leader that was birthed in your heart. And it's now in my heart. So can we honor one more time David and Renata? Come on. They deserve it. The entire team, Dan, Amy, you guys are fan. I feel like I'm with family tonight. And so um, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start there. We're going to end in Hebrews 11. Anybody love your Bible? Come on, say, I love my Bible. All right, you guys awake out there, right? Y'all ready for bold? Come on, this is a bold conference. We got to be loud tonight, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm bold. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, I'm bolder. We're going to have fun tonight. You know why? Because I'm from Alabama. And we're not very smart. Listen, we're not smart, but we have fun. And uh, sweet home Alabama. Any Alabama folks in the house? A few of you guys. How about any Southerners? You're like, I'm a Southerner here. I'm not a, I say y'all. How many of you say, if you say y'all, that's what counts. A few of you guys in the back. Michigan people don't even raise your hand. Hey, y'all want me to teach you some, uh, some Alabama English tonight? It's not, it's, not, it's not correct English, but it's fun. Y'all, y'all want a little bit of this? First of all, let's, let's say that word y'all. That just warms us up. Say y'all. No, no, you, you got to stretch it out. Say y'all. All right, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, so we have this, this, this word that's actually, should, it should be a sentence. So when you want to tell somebody, hey, do you want to do something with me, you would normally say, hey, do you want to do this? But in Alabama, we say, you want to. Like, we just put it all together. Come on, try it out. It's, it feels really good. Say, you want to? And then just say, I. That's how we reply to that. Come on, one more time. Say, you want to? I. All right, so now if you come to Birmingham, you'll feel right at home. It's like a whole other country down there. Um, but it's, it's an amazing place to live. And we have great barbecue. And we have Chick-fil-A's on every corner. Praise Jesus. Just Chick-fil-A everywhere. It's even open on Sunday. I'm just kidding. It's not in, in the South. But um, sweet tea. And just, man, we're, we're, uh, we're blessed. We've got some good football too. Y'all know anything about that? I know you don't in Michigan, but any Roll Tide fans in the house? I'm just kidding. Should never make enemies at the beginning of a message. It's never good. And so, come on, any college football fans out there? Anybody? Come on. Cool. Shout out your team right now. Shout them out. It's going to be interesting this year. I'll tell you what, I'm actually not an Alabama fan, um, but I, um, I love 
I love college football, and, uh, and, and actually, I'm, the reason I'm even in Birmingham is because I actually played college football at a place called UAB, which you've never heard of, and that's all right. I'm not offended by that, um, but I love college football, and that's one of the great things about living in the South. And through that, the, the miracle of my life is that through that opportunity, I actually met my future wife. I'll talk more about it in a minute, but I also got encountered um, God at a local church called Church of the Highlands. So while I was in college, in those years, I attended FCA, and one night we went to hear a, a pastor speak at, a, at an FCA event, and it ended up being a church planter named Chris Hodges who had just started a church there in Birmingham. And so my girlfriend, who's now my wife, her name's Jill, um, she's amazing, and we went together with a group of people, and that next Sunday, we heard him that night, he was fantastic, and that next Sunday we went to the church for the first time, it was five weeks old, and that's where I met um, you know, my pastor, who now I've been on staff with for 13 years, and just fell in love with what God was doing at Church of the Highlands, and we have 17 campuses all across the state of Alabama, and it's a miracle, and uh, we're just having a whole lot of fun, we love God, and we love this generation. And just so honored to be here with uh, you guys tonight. I'm just ready um, to just experience God with you over these next few days. But I do want you to see a picture of my family. I think they brought a, I, got, I brought a picture. I think they got it to put up. You can throw it up. There's my crew. Come on, somebody say, aw. Some of you girls are counting. They're like, how many? That is four boys. That's right. Y'all need to pray for Jill. We have four boys. That's a lot, all right? It's a lot of testosterone in the house. I actually have two of my boys. Y'all stand up. Landon and Judah stand up. They're here with me tonight. And uh, the other two, we have Owen is our third born, and um, he's amazing. He's passionate. I mean, he's just, I mean, he cried like six times during The Greatest Showman. It was awesome because um, he's so passionate. And then uh, my youngest is named Knox, and um, he is wild. Y'all really do need to pray for his salvation. He needs to get saved at an early age because he is wild. Let there be light, and there was. And um, you guys look good. And, and so we're having a whole lot of fun. You know, the crazy thing about having four boys is, is just, I mean, it's just wild all the time. Like, never shuts down. They're, they're not inside kids. They're outside kids, and so they're always out everywhere. You all know the hardest thing we've had really in the last few years is getting them all to use the bathroom inside. Like, we're getting neighbors calling us, hey, you're, you know, your kids are using the bathroom off the front porch. We're like, that has to stop. And so, but we finally got them to use the bathroom in the backyard, and here's how I did it. Guys, you're going to get this. It's immediately girls are going to be like, how did that even work? We created a pee-pee tree. We made it a game. That's how you get guys to go to the bathroom in a certain spot. We're like, hey, this tree, y'all want to hear something funny? These guys went number one on that tree so much, it died. The pee-pee tree is no more. It's a true story. We, it's dead. We had to cut it down. And so we're, we're having a whole lot of fun. And, you know, really what drives our passion is this generation. And we've been serving now, like I mentioned, for 13 years. Everybody look at me tonight. We believe in you. I mean, this team that's put this conference on, we believe in you. And I know there's over 20 churches here. You don't know me, and you may not even know the team here at Bowl, but we want you to know we believe in you. And by the way, your youth pastor does as well. That's why he loaded you in a van and brought you here. Can we honor the youth pastors for a moment, right? They're heroes. And we believe God has some great things. So I'm on an assignment tonight. This is not just a simple thought tonight. I really believe God has a word for you. And it's birthed out of a passion that I have. I believe this generation has done and it's going to do some amazing things. So here's the question I have for you. I want you to write this down and we're going to pray together in a minute. The question for tonight is this. What fuels a bold life? So we're at bold conference, right? And I mean, I believe in this generation. I'm, I'm here because of that. And I believe there's greatness in store for what God has for each of you. So the question is, how do we get from where we are to where that is? Like, if God has great things for us, what's going to get us there? So I think this is a great question. You know, what fuels a bold life? I know you guys are taking lots of hits. There's lots of people that don't feel like this generation is going to amount to much. There's lots of opposition in this generation, but I believe there's lots of opportunity. 
Because light shines best in the darkness. Can I get an amen in church tonight? It shines best in, in the darkness. And so right now in this moment, we have an opportunity to either be a survival generation or a revival generation. And I think the key to that is not that we have the great hope or aspiration. I really believe every one of you, if I was to ask you, would say, I want to do something great with my life. The question is, do we have the right fuel to get there? So in Philippians chapter 3, Paul shares with us a verse, several verses that I think really, when you peel back the layers to this guy, Paul, if you've never read him, he's this guy who was radically saved. I mean, he was lost as lost can be. He was a murderer, in fact. But he met Jesus, and from that point on, his life was never the same. It was different. He was changed. And I love his life because he really never, you know, slowed down. He was just propelled towards the things of God. So I think he's a great example. If we want to find out what can fuel our life, he's a great example for us to find out what can fuel our life because there was something fueling his life. There was something burning on the inside. And verse 12 says this, not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You can just sense his passion. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, everybody say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining, and in, in the original language of the text, that was literally meaning every single muscle. I mean, Paul's trying to articulate everything about me is moving towards God. I'm being propelled, I'm burning, there's something fueling my life. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had a fuel, and here's the best news you're gonna hear tonight, which really is just set up the rest of these next two days, and that is this, God has that same fuel for you. And I believe that's what God wants to do in this moment. This conference is fuelless. So let me pray for you, and then let's dig into this idea. We're gonna have some great time tonight, and I believe God's gonna move. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your power and your presence. Come on, open your heart up to God right now. God, we open our hearts up to you. We're here, we're expectant, we're ready. No matter how old or young, whether we're a student or a leader, God, we have come to meet with you. So God, we pray tonight that that same fuel that Paul had would invade our life. It would change us forever in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. You know, you know, fuel is a big deal. It's a really big deal. How many of you guys drive a car, a vehicle? You drive a vehicle. Raise your hand. All right. How many of you guys have ever run out of gas? Anybody? Come on. It's embarrassing, right? Come on, look around the room, guys. These people. I'm one of them, by the way who've run out of gas. And all of you guys who raise your hand would agree, isn't that like the worst moment? You're so mad, but you don't know who, who to be mad at, right? So I've yelled, literally yelled before at my car. Like you said there was 10 miles left, you know, on that little like, you know, on the, on the, on the gauge, on the, on the dash, like there was 10 miles left. There was not 10 miles left. And I've run out of gas on the side of the road. It's the worst moment ever. A few years ago, I had a moment of, of just sheer frustration around running out of gas. It was one of those nights. It was a crazy night. I mean, it's one of those nights I look back on and there was really not a lot of wisdom in it. But it was a whole lot of fun. And it all started actually a few weeks before that night in our neighborhood. We lived in a, a neighborhood, a small community, kind of a subdivision about five or six years ago. And regularly during these, these few weeks, our neighborhood was being broken into. Houses were being broken into, like almost every single night. Wake up in the morning and, you know, someone would say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Their car was broken into or their house was broken into. Noth nothing crazy, but just enough to be annoying. And it was, it was terrible, but, but it really wasn't that bad until it happened to us. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but if you've ever been broken into your house, uh, car, or whatever, it's just the worst feeling, especially the next night when you got to go to sleep and you realize, I mean, someone was in our house last night. And so that happened to us. And so, I mean, I'm just mad about it, and I'm, I'm complaining to anyone who will listen. I mean, somebody needs to do something about this. Do we have a neighborhood watch? I'm like, I'm just asking, you know, where are the, you know, where are the police? Like, someone needs to do something. 
Well, about a week later after that happened, I was preaching at our youth group. I was preaching on the topic, being a man of God. We were in like a series, and we talked about being women of God to the women. And we were, this week it was about being a man of God. And it was just, it was just an interesting moment because like, like I'm up on stage preaching about being a man of God. And like halfway through my message, I realized, you know, like the point was like men of God are warriors, right? Any, any men of God here tonight? Man, that's, I thought there was more in Kansas City. Any men of God here tonight? All right, all right. So, I mean, I'm up there preaching about it, and I realized like I'm preaching about being a warrior, but I'm a wuss. Like, my house was broken into, my village is being pillaged, and I'm not doing anything about it. And so I walk off the stage, and I grab a few of my friends, and I'm, I'm like, guys, tonight it ends. They're like, what ends? Like, I'm like, tonight we're going to catch these criminals. And, you know, guys don't need a plan, we just need passion. So I got a few guys, they didn't, they didn't ask, hey, Mark, what's your plan? They are like, dude, we're going to catch them. I'm like, yeah, we're going to catch them. Who are we talking about again? You know, the guys that broke into my house. They're like, okay, yeah, we're there. So after that youth night, like, hung out for a while, we go to our house order some pizza, start playing Call of Duty for a while, ended up playing the board game Risk. Anybody ever played Risk? Dude, it's just fun because you get just, it's war, right? And we're just, the whole time, we're like, every few minutes, we're like, dude, we're going to catch them. No one ever said, what's the plan? We didn't need a plan because we're going to catch them. All right, so we're hanging out for a while. It's going really well. And then, we're, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. It's like 12, 30, 1 o'clock. And really at this point, someone should have already said, let's go home. But no one wanted to say that. And out of nowhere, my friend Hayes, we're, on the, we're sitting in my living room. It's on the back side of my house. It's one of the weirdest moments of my life. True story. Hayes just like rises up. I mean, honestly, he looked like he was levitating. And he simply went like this. He said, they're here. And I don't know why, but there was something about the way he said it. We were all like, bro, he knows something. And we take off running to the front of our house. Guys, I am not lying to you. Within 10 seconds, this car comes creeping by the front of our house. And we're like... We're going to catch criminals tonight. So we run out and we jump in our car, all of us. We run jump in our, in, in our SUV. We run out. By that point, they'd kind of gone around the, the, the curve, so we couldn't see them anymore. So we take off after them, and we come around this corner, and, and they've dropped a guy off. And they can't see the car, but we see this guy walking down the street. And I'm just fueled with adrenaline, adrenaline and possibly the Holy Spirit, possibly not. I don't know. Red Bull probably. And I'm fueled with this passion and this fire. My, my face is painted blue. I'm screaming freedom. I don't even know why. And I see this guy, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to take this dude down. So I open the door. We're, still, we're going like 10 miles an hour. I open the door. And I just start yelling, hey! Now, first thing I should have noticed is that when I'm yelling at him as loud as I can, this dude's not even checking up. That's a bad dude that is getting yelled at at 1 a.m. and he's not even flinching. So we're getting closer and I'm like, here, in my mind I see it. I'm going to jump out. I'm going to tackle him. Someone's going to film it. We're going to post it on MySpace back then. Y'all don't even know. And I'm going to be like Insta-famous, MySpace famous. And I, it's going to be awesome. I can just see it all happening. So I, I'm leaning out of the door. I'm getting ready. And I'm kind of a big dude, and so I'm thinking, I mean, this dude's nothing. You know, I, I'm going to take him out. He's six feet tall. Well, y'all, we get a little closer. He's like 6'1", 6'2", 6'5". This dude was like 6'7". So literally as I'm about to go out the door, I realize I'm about to die. I have a choice, die or be embarrassed. And so as I'm coming by him, I'm just about to jump, and I'm like, nope, not going to do it. And the worst, like most embarrassing things that have ever come out of my mouth, I just scream at him. I know what you've been doing, man. That's <laughs> like all that came out. My, my friends were like, dude, that's what you got? Like, I know what you've been doing? And I'm like, drive, drive, drive. So we drive around the corner, and I'm like, I'm like man, call the, the police. We're going to call the police. They will come take care of this guy. So we call it, and this perfect Alabama name, her, the dispatcher's name was Peggy Sue. 
Y'all already love her, right? She kind of had a smoker's voice. I'm like, she's like, hey, you know, how can we help you tonight? I'm like, hey, we got criminals. We've been chasing them down. You know, we didn't want to take them out. We wanted to let y'all take them out. And so here's where we are. And she's like, okay. And I'm thinking she's going to say, what? Hey, we got it. Go home. Wouldn't you expect that? Y'all, Peggy Sue was wild. She was like, don't lose them. Chase them. I'm like, chase them. Chase them. Just like that. So we take off. I mean, they're coming down the road at us. We kind of play a little chicken. They get out on the road. Now we're in a high-speed chase, 1.30, 1.45, 2am. We are going down. We're having the time of our life. It's amazing. We did not have any weapons. We had a Nerf gun. That was literally all we had. And so we're chasing them down, we're, and, we're, and then we're in and out of service, and so we can't really get coordinated with the police, and they can't find where we are. And so we're getting close to the freeway. And it's like all building up to this moment. And Peggy Sue's like, we're close. We're coming. We're close. You know, and she's like, just stay close to them. Don't let them get on the freeway. We're like, okay, Peggy Sue, we're here. And we're coming up like the entrance ramp to the freeway. It's getting real because it's about to get really, really fast speed because we're going on the freeway. And as we're about to turn up to get on the freeway, the car sputters, and we run out of gas. We have to push that car. It was like from the highest high to the lowest low. We have to push that car back a half a mile. But as we're getting close to the gas station, coming down that entrance ramp, y'all, the boys in blue. Come on, somebody. Y'all love the police. Come on. They are the real deal. They come flying by us. So we run you know, as fast as we can, push the car back. We get like a little bit of gas. We take off. About five miles later, we see those blue lights flashing. They have caught them. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? They have caught the criminals. So we get back to uh, our neighborhood, and, you know, the sun's coming up. It's like a movie. I mean, there's a soundtrack playing at this point. And, like, the sun's coming up, and we're like, sleep in peace, everybody. Never fear. The pastor patrol is here. We got you guys. We caught those criminals. And so the next day, we're, we're messing with my friend Alan. Some of you guys know Alan Pedram. was the guy that was driving. And we're messing with Alan. We're like, bro, Alan, that was terrible, man. Like, this was a big moment. You ran out of gas. You know, like, what's wrong with you? He's like, well, I mean, I just usually put $5 in to get to your house and go home. I'm like, that's part of the problem. But he said this line. I think it's very interesting. I actually never forgot it. He said, man, I just didn't ever think that fuel or gas was that big a deal. It's like I just never thought that fuel was that big a deal. And I think, honestly, we're in that same boat. I think we're living in a generation with big dreams. Come on, somebody. Bold dreams. Big vision. There's a lot of people in here who love God, who really want to do something great in your life. But we've never thought about the fuel it's going to take to get there. And honestly, it's one thing to have fuel, but honestly, even a little deeper than that, the Bible wants us to have the right kind of fuel. It's a lot of what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. He actually gives us a warning to make sure we're fueling ourselves with the right fuel. In verse 17, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he's like, hey, check out my life. I'm straining towards Jesus. I want you to look really closely at me. For as, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Check it out. Everybody listen to this. This is our generation often. Their God is their stomach. So in other words, they're fueling themselves with things they can get on their own. And he goes on to finish the thought by saying their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So we got to make sure in our generation that it's not just the big dreams and the bold dreams and the visions that we have we got to make sure we have the right fuel. And Paul's saying, what you're going to realize is this. If you're fueling yourself on earthly fuel, it will never get you to where God wants you to go. Love you to take notes tonight. Three earthly fuels, I call them common fuels, that I think our generation is fueling ourselves on. They're dangerous. And Paul's warning about us, warning us, and I'm warning you as well tonight. Don't let your life be fueled with these things. They will fail you, and God has more than this. The first one is the fuel of status. The fuel of status. 
You know, in our generation, it feels like the more likes I get, the better I'm doing. We are so desperate for affirmation. Now, there's a lot of reasons why. Honestly, a lot of good reasons why. Because our generation is known as the fatherless generation. Many of you have grown up in broken homes and in situations where you've never been affirmed. The problem is we're looking for affirmation in all the wrong places. You know, they say now that there are half a billion, everybody say billion, selfies every single day. Half a billion. Now, we look good, but we don't look that good, at least not in Alabama. Half a billion every single day. The average person is now expected to take and post 28,000 pictures of themselves during their lifetime. Roughly one for every single day. What is that a sign of? It's a sign that we're desperate to be affirmed. Someone like me. Someone look at me. Someone approve me. The problem is, guys, look at me. You cannot get affirmation from the world. What we're looking for from the world can only come from God. And when we fuel ourselves with affirmation, it will fail us. A, a few years ago, I started running. Uh, I wasn't being chased. I just literally got, like, woke, I just started running for a hobby, like for health and fitness. In fact, one of my pastors, a good friend of mine named Lane, he was like, one day he looked at me and he's like, dude, you look terrible. Like, you could die any minute. You look awful. He's pretty straightforward. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, he can run with me. I'm like, dude, you could have just asked me to run. You didn't have to, like, insult me. And I just asked me to run. But I started running with him, and I fell in love with it. And I, over the last few years, I've run a few races, half marathons, marathons, and just love, love running. I've noticed something. I think it's kind of a, a picture of our generation that on the race course, you'll see people all along the way walking or jogging. Honestly, sometimes you'll even see them sitting down until they get close to the finish line. And there's a crowd there, and that crowd begins to yell. And you'll see the same person that was jogging or walking begin to sprint as fast as they can. Not because that's what they're feeling. Like they're not, they're not, the race hasn't fueled them. It's, it's only the crowd. It's only when others are cheering them on they begin to run as fast as they can. I think that's a picture of our generation. We're fueling ourselves with status, but the fuel of status is like a drug. It will fuel you for a while, but it will fail you in the end. It feels great, but it will fail us in the end. God has more for us than the fuel of status. Here's a second one, and that's the fuel of success. I know there's a, a lot of young people here today, and you may not be thinking a lot about success now, but if nothing else, let this be a warning. It's so easy, especially in America, to live our lives fueled off power and position. Now, there's nothing wrong with being driven. We should all desire to be successful and God wants us to be successful. But there's a big difference in being driven to build the kingdom of God and being driven to build your own kingdom. And the problem with being fueled by success is this. You'll end up living your entire life. You maybe even get what you want in the end and you'll find out along the way that even maybe unintentionally used every situation and every person to your advantage. You were just trying to get where you wanted to go. And I've talked to so many people in my life, successful people, people who have it all, and they're lonely and they're empty. We talked about The Greatest Showman earlier. Anybody watch that movie? How many of you watched it more than five times? More than five times? More than ten times? How many of you know every word to every song? Anybody? That's me only because of my kids. And I, I may or may not have cried the first time I watched it. I'm not going to admit that if I did, but I'm just saying it was a great movie, right? And, and now it's, it's just it's one of those, those, those movies that sticks with me because I've seen it so many times. And that scene where you have P.T. Barnum sitting there in a bar drinking all alone, right? He's gotten everything he ever wanted and he is miserable. It's a picture of what happens when we fuel ourselves with success. Hey, the good news, everybody, God has more than that. Here's the third one. That's the fuel of security. Now, this one's a little different. And honestly, I think it's more dangerous. 
The fuel of security is kind of the, another way to say it might be saying that I'm fueled by the comfort zone. I'm fueled by living my life within some kind of cocoon or bubble where I minimize hurt and pain. And again, I understand why our generation wants to do that because many of us have been hurt in awful ways, verbally and even physically. We've experienced pain in our life and so we're just trying to make it through life with as little pain and as little risk as possible. And it seems like a great way to live. And I think, honestly, you could probably get by on this fuel longer than any of the other ones. But the problem is we'll end up at the end of our lives. And honestly, this is my greatest fear. We'll end up at the end of our lives and we'll be here and realize God had this for us. Because the only way you can have security, hey, listen to me, is control. And in America, in our generation, we are control freaks. We want to control our lives. We want to control other people's lives. And the problem is when we're controlling it, God isn't. Man, the fuel of, of, of security is like being a fan. You're at every single game. You're cheering on, but you never take the field. And look at me. God has more for you than that. God wants you on the field. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a calling for you. And if we live with the fuel of security, we'll never reach it. God has more for us than status, more for us than success, more for us than security. I want you to write this down. This is what God has for us. This is kind of the big reveal. I want you to write this word down. It's an interesting word. God has for us the fuel of conviction. The fuel of conviction. Look at that word as you write it down. I tell you what, man, I love that word. <laughs> there are not many words left that we don't abuse. Everything is amazing. Everything is awesome. We love everything. Emoji, emoji, kissy face emoji, heart, eyes emoji, 100, on fire, it's amazing. Everything's awesome, right? We throw words around like crazy, but conviction is one of those words you just don't hear it very often. It's kind of one of the few words left that when you say, hey, that's a person of conviction, it means something. Maybe you're not uh, quite sure of the definition. Let me define it for you. This is kind of my definition from a lot of other definitions. That is this. You know, conviction is a belief that is so strong you would die for it that comes from seeing something that others don't see. It's a belief. It's a fuel that is so deep inside of us. We are so passionate about it. We would die for it. And it comes from seeing something that very few people probably see. I love Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite um, chapters in the entire Bible. It's known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I'm not sure we really understand that word faith. I think a lot of, time for us, a lot of, time, lots of times for us, faith is simply this. It's like, uh, I believe that God is real or I trust God. Like, I have faith. I trust God. God's going to come through for me. But what I love about Hebrews 11 is it kind of peels back and, and opens up a doorway to faith. It shows us it's a whole lot deeper than that. Verse 1 says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And in fact, in the original language, that word faith is the word pistis in the Greek, which is defined this way, conviction of the truth. So faith, the essence of faith, the power of faith is that it is so deep that it's a conviction. You know, faith, conviction is a belief that is so strong we would die for it that comes from seeing something that other people perhaps just don't. See, and so if you read the rest of Hebrews 11, what you see is that it's full of men and women of conviction. You guys probably watch VeggieTales. You're probably familiar with some of these people. But how about Noah? Noah's a dude, right? Noah's the guy. I mean, Noah built a boat on dry land. There had never been rain, and Noah built a boat. He's telling everybody there's going to be rain. They're like, you are crazy, you are cray cray crazy, bro. What is all your money, all your resources? You're building this boat in the middle of dry land. You are crazy. Why would Noah do that? He had a conviction. 
Hebrews 11 says that he had seen a better world, a righteous world where God ruled and reigned and nothing was going to stop him from, stop, stop him from living out the conviction that was in his heart. But I love Abraham and Sarah. Anybody know Abraham and Sarah, right? I think they're, they're amazing, right? They're, they're, we catch up with their story when they're wandering in a desert, homeless and barren. They can't have children. Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. It's really gross, but all of a sudden they have kids. Like God moves in their life. Why would they end up out there in the middle of the desert, wandering, heading to a new land? Why, why would they do that? Why? Because they had a conviction. Because God had shown them a city, the Bible says, whose foundation was God, and they had seen their inheritance, as many as the stars are in the sky. And in fact, we're part of that inheritance here tonight. They had a conviction. And nothing was going to stop them. How about Moses, right? He's a stuttering murderer. He flees to the desert. And the next time we catch up with him, he's walking up to Pharaoh and he's saying, let my people, there's some church kids in here, let my people go. How, why would this man risk his life and everything he has march right back to the very person that he feared the most and proclaim something that was insane for anyone who would have heard it. Why would he do that? Why? Because he was fueled by conviction. Everybody, Moses had already seen the freedom of his people at the burning bush when he met with the great I am and nothing was going to stop him. It's not just in the Bible. We see men and women of conviction and when we see them, we celebrate them. Our founding fathers in America, these men who signed their name to a declaration of independence, they risked their lives and their possessions. They put it all on the line for a country that didn't even exist. Why? Because they had already seen that country in their hearts and they were willing. Many of them gave their lives. Many of them gave their possessions. They were willing to lay it all on the line. But America really wasn't free until a guy named Martin Luther King Jr. came along, right? Tell you what, he had a dream. He had a conviction. He saw an America where truly all people were equal. And he laid his life on the line to see it turn into a reality. Fueled by conviction. Hey, everybody, God has more for us than status or security. God has more for us than common. God has the fuel of conviction for you. I think about David and Renata. Let me tell you something. I've known David for a long time. He was living a good life in Colorado. Colorado's not a bad place. I pay a lot of money to fly on a plane to go there and ski. It's a really great place to live. They could have spent the rest of their life living a secure life in the kingdom, but yet they have a conviction. They saw a, they saw a church, now a conference in Corbin Park. I think that's where we are, Kansas City. I don't even know. But they saw it and they laid it all on the line to build it. What could fuel that kind of insanity to move your family across the country? What could fuel it? It's conviction. And the beautiful thing is God has that for you too. Maybe this may seem like a lot to some of you. Let me just unpack it a little more because we got the rest of the conference to let God move in our hearts. But I want to be practical tonight. I want to tell you tonight as keys come up and we get ready to close. If you're here tonight at any age and you're like, hey, you know what? I would love to have a fuel like that. I would love for God to begin to stir some conviction in my heart. I'm ready to have what it takes to get to where God wants me to go. You can look back at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, talking about all these amazing people. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on, on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. The Bible says three things. It says they were living they were looking, and they were longing. These are powerful words, man. These are, 
It's a powerful moment. I'm telling you, God is here right now. This is a powerful moment for you in your life. I remember being 15 years old and hearing a message kind of like this. I remember all the fear that I had between where I was and even at that point, they were small dreams, but for me, they seemed huge. I remember asking God, man, God, can my life ever count? God, can my life ever make a difference? I grew up in Podump, Alabama. Y'all, where I grew up, it's just no one gets out. (laughs) Where I grew up, man, I graduated with 36 people, and it was like, man, we're just doing good to stay alive. You know, it just wasn't just a whole lot of, I had hopes and dreams, but I didn't really have much vision for how to get there. I remember God beginning to stir in moments like these are precious moments. When the Bible gives us instructions like this, when the Bible opens up and we see how we can live these things out, there's something for us to grab a hold of. And tonight, there's three, three, these three words. They're there for you to tether your life to. Let me say the first one like this. They were living by faith. Let me say it this way. If you want to live a life of conviction, it begins by living madly in love with Jesus. We're so, in America, it's so easy for us to make our faith cognitive. I just, I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying and I'm checking things off the list. At least in Alabama, we're very religious. It's very easy to say, you know, I'm living a good life and if I could just live better, you know, more good than bad, then I'm doing all right. That's what God expects. Listen, God wants more than that. God wants your heart. He wants you to be madly in love with Him because He's madly in love with you. When asked what the greatest thing we can do with our lives, this is what Jesus said. Mark 10, 30, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's not common. That's not cognitive. God wants to stir something up in you that is so passionate for Jesus that you'll never be the same. Pastor David mentioned earlier the vow that's coming up. My life was changed in a moment, a vow moment underneath his leadership. It's coming at the end of this conference. Between now and then, let God stir in you. C.S. Lewis says that our relationship with God is like an onion peel, but in reverse. So maybe you're here tonight and you don't even know God. You get to peel back a, later, a layer and just say, oh, this is, he's bigger and more amazing than I ever thought. Some of you have been following God for a long time. Guess what? You can peel back another layer and it's even bigger. It never stops growing. The deeper you go, the better it gets. Let me show you what that looks like. I saw a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody seen that movie? I'm throwing out movies tonight. I love movies. And I was watching it on a plane, which was not a good idea because I ended up bawling my eyes out and everybody thought I was crazy. What's wrong with this dude? It's a true story about a guy named Desmond Doss. And in fact, the way his brother describes him is he said he, it says that the movie says he was a man under conviction. And when a man is under conviction, it changes everything. He lived his life under conviction. His conviction, is mad, he was madly in love with Jesus. His conviction was this, I love my country, but I'm not going to pick up a weapon. He refused to pick up a weapon, yet it's, the time period was World War II, and he wanted to fight for his country, so he became a medic. And through his entire, the entire movie, they have this metaphor, this Bible that represents, it's, it's, it's his Bible, really, in real life, that represents his relationship with God. And the cool thing is, he's never separated from it. He has it every single moment. He rescues a ton of people, and he becomes this massive hero. At the end of the movie, he's injured, and he's being carted off the, 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 the battlefield. And for the first time in the movie, He's separated from his Bible. His Bible simply falls off of his, his chest. Doesn't even hit the ground before he's screaming. If you've seen the movie, you know this scene. My Bible! My Bible! He's screaming as loud as he can. And I'm weeping watching that because he couldn't even be separated from God for a moment. And for me, sometimes it's so easy to go through days and through moments and live my life on my own. And it's difficult and it's hard. And God's just saying, yes, it's difficult. Just look to me. 
There's a well of living water you can experience. And I want to pray later on tonight for anyone for the first time who would love to experience that power, that love. Jesus loves you. Come on, during these next two days, fall in love with him. That's where it begins. That's where conviction begins to stir. And then it moves to a very practical piece. And that is we got to start looking for God's plan. Just looking for God's plan. That's what these people in Hebrews 11 were doing. You know, in our generation, we love to look, uh, live our lives looking down. I'm guilty of this. You know, and, this, and we can make it spiritual. You know, God, would you just show me your plan for my life? And we're just, we're just walking around looking. You know, God, just show me your plan for my life. Hey, everybody, when we sign up for this Christianity thing, it quit being about our plan. It's not about us. It's about Him. And I'm telling you what God is waiting for is a generation who will put their eyes from the ground to the heavens. Who will say, God, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to look to your plan. Because my plan's not working out very well. And I'm exhausted. I'm trying to fuel myself swimming upstream. And God is saying, just look to me. Listen to these amazing scriptures in, in, in Colossians 3. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life. Come on, anybody love Jesus at bold tonight? Come on, make some noise. You love Jesus tonight? Are you serious about this? Then act like it. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It says, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Check this out. Don't shuffle around, along with eyes to the ground. Absorb from the things right in front of you. Look up. This is amazing. Simply look up. And be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Conviction comes from Christ's perspective. The best thing you're going to hear all night is this. God has a plan, and you're a part of it. And when we see God's plan and our place in it, we see the thing that He made us to live for. The conviction that God has for us, the things that are in front of you that are just hopes and dreams right now, they'll become convictions in your heart when you see things from God's perspective. Amazing. Don't, hey, don't check out right now. This is an important moment. That prayer has changed my life. Here's the prayer I want to equip you with. It's a bold prayer. God, show me what you see. I dare you to pray that. God, show me your plan. Show me what you see in my life. Show me what you see in my family. Some of you don't have hope for your family. There's hope. God has a plan. He'll give you the conviction to live it out in the hardest moments. God, show me what you see in my school. God, show me what you see in my community. God, if you'll show me what you see, I'll live for it. I'll die for it. I'll have a conviction that'll never run out. And it may not happen overnight. It may not happen over two days. But God will begin to stir things, 13, 14, 15-year-old, and they'll never run dry. It'll fuel you for the rest of your life. And your job from that point on, as you pray that prayer, just taking next steps, growing, leadership, serving at your church, serving with your youth pastor, taking steps of you know, in, in whatever area towards learning, maybe college one day will take you in a certain direction. Just keep taking next steps. And before you know it, the amazing, beautiful collision of God's timing and your conviction will meet and you'll be living the thing that he made you for. You have a part in his plan. Living madly in love with Jesus, looking for God's plan. Here's the last one, write it down. That's longing for the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 11 says they were longing for a heavenly country. And you know, it's not talking about harps and little fat angels. It's not around like... These were not people looking for escape. I, I think right now in Christianity, we're just looking for escape. America's dark. Everything's, it's terrible. I mean, we turn on the news, everything's awful. And it really, honestly, there is a ton of darkness, but I mean, we're the people of God. Like, 
We said earlier, light shines best in the darkness, but yet often it can feel like we're just a lifeboat. Like we're, our attitude is just like, hey, can I just dump a few people in here? Jesus, please hurry up and come back because it's really hard here. We're just complaining like I was in my neighborhood. Can somebody do something? And God's looking back at us and he's saying, yes, it's you. <laughs> See, people of conviction are longing, which means they are consumed with building the kingdom of God, not escaping to heaven, but building God's kingdom here and now. And God is waiting for a generation of conviction to come along and not believe something that's just wild. Just believe what he's already said can happen. To believe that nothing is too hard for God. Come on right now, somebody in this room get some faith. Come on, can you see the lost being saved in your community? Come on, if we don't see it, no one's going to see it. You know the real problem in America? It's not anger, it's not violence, it's not even racism. It's brokenness and sin. The problem is spiritual. People don't know God. And when people don't know God, they act like people who don't know God. And we have the answer to every problem. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at some point, we got to rise up out of the darkness and say, no longer on our watch. I believe with all my heart, revival can come. I believe with all my heart, there can be an awakening in our generation. Come on, can you see it? Conviction is seen. Come on, can you see the sick being healed in your community? Come on, the power of the Holy Spirit is living and active. Nothing is too difficult for God. Come on, can you see the depressed finding light? Come on, no more suicide or addiction or brokenness. Come on, if we don't see it, no one else is going to see it. I see it. Because you know what? There's been dark moments in America before, but there's been generations of conviction that rose up. We saw amazing revivals. We've seen amazing awakenings in our nation. Listen to this, this quote. This could have been written yesterday. It's interesting how, how this is so relevant. It says, look how the glory of God has gone. Some of you can remember 50 years ago when the churches were in their glory. I mean, what a change there's been. In those days, people were being converted. This literally sounds like somebody's rant on Instagram or Twitter, right? I mean, people were being converted and willingly declared what God had done for their souls. The good old days, apple pie America. God bless America. But conversions have become rare in this day. The glory is gone. The special mark of God's providence in America is now over. We weep to think about it. Man, that could have been written yesterday. That was written in 1702. It's been dark moments before. It's not an unusual moment. The question is, will a generation of conviction rise up? And in this generation, there was a movement of God. And I'm saying it tonight, I'm sharing it just to stir faith in you. Some people gathered in Scotland and throughout England and then eventually across Europe and then it hopped across the pond to America. And they just began to pray, a revived church, a passionate church just began to pray. That's what all, pray, all great movements of God started a place of prayer. And a guy named Theodore or Thomas Freeling started preaching in a field. People began to gather, and an amazing thing started happening. Salvations began to happen, and light began to break through the darkness. And the Bible says, or and the history says that the first great awakening was born in a field full of young people who caught fire for God. In fact, many historians say the first great awakening in America fueled the war for independence. That's where the whole idea came from, the passion. But a few... You know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years later, there was another dark moment. Come on, I'm just trying to build your faith and I'm waiting for, for tonight for some people to stand up. I know I'm standing up, I'm ready for God to use me. I think God's stirring it up in this room tonight in some of your hearts. About 100 years later, it's dark again. Chief Justice John Marshall said, the church is too far gone to ever be redeemed. Voltaire, this, this, this dude's an idiot. He says in 30 years time, Christianity will be forgotten. It's like in the 1800s. A poll was taken, there wasn't one Christian at Harvard. They were burning Bibles in the courtyard. But again, the church stepped up. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Kentucky, and it 
it swept all across America and millions of people were saved. We call it the second great awakening. God moved. About 100 years later, and you can probably guess it, it was dark again. It's, it's, it's the way it happens. There was just a lot of, just there was not much hope. Everybody was focused on success, industrial revolutions, power, money, position. America was rising to its prominence. And it just seemed like the work of God was over. We don't need God. We don't need God anymore. That's kind of where we're at right now. There was a church in New York City on Fulton Street that just began to pray. In fact, there was about 10 guys that started praying. Those 10 guys praying turned into about 10,000 every single day who were praying. And that prayer movement fueled a preaching movement that spread across America. And people began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great famous evangelists and preachers preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at me right here. And the third great awakening was born. The third great revival we experienced in our nation was born. A guy named Laban Clark said this. The field was completely on, this is it. The field was composed mostly with young men and women in the vitality of their life. Looking at them, I said this, with such conviction, we can take the world. Here we are 100 years later in Kansas City and things look dark. Come on, somebody. Things look hopeless. Everyone's written us off. People say Christianity is old news. There's no hope. There's no real Christians that are standing up for this. This whole thing is a joke. Come on, somebody. But in Kansas City at Bold Conference 2018, come on, somebody. There's a generation that says we will not go quietly into the darkness. That there are great days ahead for America. That it's not too late. That the darkness cannot stand when the light of God breaks through. Come on, if you're bold tonight, stand to your feet. Come on, if you're tired of seeing our nation and our generation being written off. Come on, stand to your feet tonight. We'll close your eyes, lift your arms as the band comes. We're going to worship here in a moment. I want to spend about five minutes with you, and these are important moments. These first few moments, anyone in this room today, in the sound of my voice, that very first point, talking about being in love with Jesus, you're here tonight, and what you've recognized is this. You're here, but you don't have that kind of relationship. Come on, every head bowed right now, every eye closed. Come on, if you are a Christian, just begin to pray right now. But if you're here today and you realize this is God, this isn't a preacher, this isn't a worship set, this is God. You realize tonight, you don't know Him and you want to know Him. You can have that relationship in this moment. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to have you raise your hand or acknowledge it. Come on, this is between you and God, but I want to lead you in this moment. Maybe you've had that relationship and you've walked away from God. Come on, this is a moment to come back to Him. No matter what you've done, what you've said, who you've slept with, what drug you have taken, you are not disqualified. God loves you and He's inviting you home tonight. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let a word that was spoken over to you separate you from Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Come on, if you want to get saved tonight, if you want to rededicate your life, just pray this prayer to yourself. Come on, be bold as you pray it. Just commit your life to Him. Jesus, I give you my life. I, I repent tonight, God, I turn to you. Come on, just begin to pray to him. Say, God, tonight I, I make you my Lord. I'm putting you in control. God, I receive you as my Savior. God, thank you for rescuing me. Come on, tell him how thankful you are. God, I'm asking tonight for you to fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power, the boldness to live out my walk for you. God, I thank you that right now in this moment, God, I thank you right now that, God, people across this room, come on, if that's you, just keep praying, enjoying your time with God. People across this room are getting saved right now. God, they're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, for the rest of us, let's just begin to pray. Come on, right now, let's just let faith rise up. Come on, let's pray that bold prayer. Let's ask God to show us what He sees. 
Come on, I, I dare you to pray that prayer right now in this moment. Come on, we got two days to walk this out. It, let's, it's going to come. It may not happen overnight, but let's start stirring it up right now. Come on, God, show us what you see in our lives. Come on, put your life in front of God and just say, God, no longer my plan, your plan. God, show me my place in your plan, and I'll live it out. I'll live for you. I'll die for you. I'll never turn back. Come on, some bold prayers. Let's start here and let God build on it. Come on, don't hold back. Lift your arms. Lift your hands. Come on, receive from him tonight. God, show me what you see. Show me what you see in my family. Some of you have lost parents and siblings. I'm going to tell you something. God sees a redeemed family, and nothing is too hard for him. Come on, see it, and he'll give you that conviction to see it come into reality, to serve them and love them and fight for them in prayer. I'm going to ask God to show you what he sees in your community. When I see Birmingham, Alabama as a city on a hill. I'm so sick of the curse of racism. I break it in Jesus' name in Birmingham. Come on, pray for your city. And I pray for the schools in my city, junior high schools and high schools and colleges, that young people will come to know you, God. And they won't live for money or success or security or status. They'll live for you. God, we're calling for revival in America. Nothing is too hard for you. Come on, just keep praying. Come on, this is a conference that's going to be all about prayer. We'll get comfortable with these moments. We don't have to rush. Come on, this is going to be a bold moment. As God begins to fill you with faith, if you want to live a life of conviction, start making your way towards the front. Come on, we're going to worship together. I want to see in this room who's ready to step out and say, I'm going to live a bold life for Jesus. Come on, start making your way to the front. We're going to spend about five minutes here worshiping to seal up what God's doing. As you come, come on, come on forward. Keep praying. Come on, enjoy God. Don't listen to me. Just enjoy your time with God right now. Pray and worship. And God, show us what you see. God, we're longing for the kingdom of God. We see a different America. We see a different generation, God. We thank you that you are here and you are present and you are in our midst, God. We worship you tonight. Come on, let's begin to lift our voices. Well, he's a great God. He's a good God. Come on, pour your heart out to him right now. Hands lifted, arms lifted, surrendered lives. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory@radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radiant Church, please click Give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radiant Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.